0: Welcome to Valdosta Baptist Church and our virtual worship in the Word. Uh, Before we get started uh, today, let's go to our Lord and let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for those that are right now um, listening to uh, this teaching. They're listening to the proclamation of your Word. And Father, I, I, I pray for them. I pray, Father, that, Lord, You will open hearts and minds uh, to Your truth, God. Lord, I pray that, Father, Jesus Christ is lifted up and is glorified. I pray, Father, that the gospel goes forth, Lord. I pray that... Um, saints are encouraged by the reality of the gospel and what christ has accomplished for us i pray father that uh, lord those that are listening that do not have a real relationship with jesus christ god i pray lord i pray that you would bring conviction in their heart and lord you would open them up to the beauty of the gospel That God, you would draw them to Jesus. Father, I pray that you would have mercy upon us all. Lord, as we um, especially, Father, as we as a a society begin to transition back into uh, Father, public worship and 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 businesses are beginning to open up i I pray father that lord you will uh protect god i pray you will give wisdom i pray father that we will not act cavalier and know-it-alls but that father we would be very humbled by the reality that we are threatened if it is not for your grace and so lord i pray that um god you would just uh father Help us in this time, Father, of transition to do things that are wise and pleasing, Lord, to You. Father, it is in Jesus' name that I pray, Amen and Amen. Well, we're going to get back in uh, 1 John uh, this week. Took a little detour last week, but the Spirit of God has um, drawn me back to um, this tiny little epistle. First John, tiny little book, five chapters, big truth in it. Saturated with big truth, truth that we need desperately today. We need today, the church needs it today. We need this truth to help inform us about things that are taking place and going on within the church and outside of the church today. Um, so, if you've got your Bible with you today, I would I would like for you to open your copy of God's Word to chapter two. Um, I, we bounced into chapter three last time we were together. We skipped over some stuff in chapter two, and I told you I said we're not going to uh, miss out on chapter two, the the rest of what's in chapter two. So. Um, Let's begin reading in verse 18 of 1 John chapter 2. Uh, I want to read down through verse number 27 today. Um, John writes and he says, Children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that all are not of us. Us who? Us little children of God. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lies of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, us children of God. He made this, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and no lie, just as it has taught you. Abide in Him. This is God's perfect Word. I have an announcement to make. It is the last hour. It is the last hour. Um, Matter of fact, I am so incredibly convinced, I am so incredibly convinced and confident of that, that I have even titled today's teaching, It is the last hour. It is the last hour. Now, I, I need to be honest with you, though. I stole that title. I stole that title. It's not original to me. I didn't come up with that on my own. Matter of fact, I simply copied and pasted that from another source. That source, of course, before you think bad of me, that source was God's Word. I took it out of the introductory phrase. It is the introductory phrase phrase, if I can talk right. It is the first phrase of our text today, where John says, little children, it is the last hour. Now, without a doubt, there will be those that hear me say that. There will be those that will um, access our podcast um, because we have people that access our podcast from all places around the globe, actually, they'll they'll read that title, or they'll look at our YouTube account, they'll read that title, It Is The Last Hour, and they will automatically think, I am talking about Christ's return being right upon us. They'll think that, wait a minute, this is a guy that is predicting that we are in the last moments of the last time before Christ returns. They'll think, wait a minute, this guy is a date setter. They'll think, wait a minute, they'll put me in the same camp as somebody, a false prophet like Harold Camping. you remember Harold Camping? In the 90s, he predicted Jesus Christ was going to return. He said it's the last days. And Christ didn't return in the 90s, so he said, I, I, I miscalculated. And so he recalibrated and He said that Christ would return in May of 2011. Well, May of 2011 came. Christ did not return. Or they'll think I'm someone like Edgar C. Wiskant, the NASA engineer who in the late 80s wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Be in 88. And all kinds of churches bought into that. I remember the little church that my great-grandmother attended out in the backwoods of, of Hell County. Um, well-meaning, normally doctrinally pure and true and right in their teaching, but they bought into this. I read that as a 15-year-old. Scared me to death. As lost as I could be. It scared me to death because I was thinking, wait a minute, this this is going to happen. This is going to come to pass. Um, Well, uh, I'm sure those men and anyone that has made a outlandish statement like that started out meaning well and on the right path and I pray that I would not um, fall in that same trap. Um, I pray that I wouldn't because the Bible is very clear. Only the Father, Jesus said this, only the Father knows the day and the hour Of his return. That is what the scripture says. Nevertheless, and you're going to think I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I'm not. You'll see what I mean in a minute. You see, nevertheless, it is the last hour. Not because we're in a pandemic. Okay? Not. Because the world around us seems to be flying out of control. Not because society is getting weirder and stranger by the moment. Not because sin seems to be becoming more and more perverse. Not because of any of those reasons. But it is the last hour because the Bible says so. It's the last hour because in the text we read, it says it's the last hour. It is the last hour. Now, I'm sure there are some well-meaning and misguided people that would take that phrase and they would try to somehow use that as a springboard to say that it is the last moment and Jesus is coming this very hour, and that would be wrong. Some men find places in Scripture to support their ideas. I don't want to be like that. I want the Bible to inform my ideas. That my ideas are not imposed on the text, but they come from the text. So it's important to understand what this is talking about. Now the entire passage that I read is giving us four basic descriptors of what it's like in the last hour. It is the last hour. But we need to understand what is meant by that phrase. What does John mean when John writes, Little children, it is the last hour. What is he saying? What does that phrase mean? Because when John wrote this, when John penned this, he didn't say, The last hour is coming. So around 95 AD, somewhere between 95 AD and 100 AD, when John wrote this, he said, it is presently the last hour. It was the last hour in John's day. And when we read this text and it's in the present tense saying it's the last hour, it is the last hour in our day. So what does that mean? See, this is why it's important to understand what a text says, not what we want it to mean. What is this saying? What is this saying? He said it's the last hour. Now, God's Word is perfect. It is inerrant. It is inspired by God. God. It, 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 it is right and it is truth. As Jesus said in John 17, 17, He said, Thy Word, talking about God's Word, it is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Um, so what, what is this talking about? What does this mean? Well, the phrase, last hour... Sometimes in some translations, as a matter of fact, this same verse in the King James actually says the, the last times. Some phrases, some, some translations put the last days. Um, whatever the English is saying, it cannot be referring to the um, last 60-minute uh, period before Christ returns. As a matter of fact, the idea of a 60-minute hour, they did not understand that concept. That concept was still being, it was still coming into being. Um, they wouldn't have thought about it like that. Um, it cannot be referring to the last few 24-hour periods before He re- re- returned, when it uses the phrase, the last days or the, the, the last times. What, what is it saying? What is it saying when it says this? Well, um, First of all, let me just say, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that the end is not near. Personally, I think it is near. But I am not saying at the same time when I say it's the last hour, I'm not saying the end is here either. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm trying to say, and what I'm wanting to say is what the verse is saying. That's my burden. That's the weight that I carry as your pastor, trying to say what the text says. Not, listen, I don't want to be left to some theology that I bring up on my own. The Bible is not an open discussion. It's not a round table forum for me to say, well, I think it means this, and you think it means that, and somehow we come to an agreement in the middle. No, it is a matter of what does it say. Paul wrote Timothy to rightly divide the Word of Truth, therefore I must believe it can be rightly divided with no mixture of error in the interpretation of the absolute cardinal Doctrinal truths. So what what is he saying when he says it is the last hour? Well, let me give you a little feel because it's important we understand this before we look at the descriptors in this text. Um, If you you look over in the book of Hebrews, for example, um, Hebrews chapter 1, We find that same phrase there um, in in verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, We find a little contextual um, understanding of it. He says, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, "...long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So there was a former time in which God spoke by the prophets, but now there is a time that has come upon us that is the last days that were last days in Hebrews, when Hebrews was written, and in these last days, God is speaking by the final revelation of His Son. The final revelation of Himself, which is seen in the incarnate God, who is Jesus, the Christ. If we go to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, we read these words. It, 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 it says, um, and there was an angel that said this, uh Said to, said this uh, to them. Said, "Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven." will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. I just wanted to read that to you and then go over to chapter 2, where Peter begins to preach his message. And in chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, this is what the text says. It says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel... And in, and here he begins to quote from Joel, "...in the last days," God declares, "...I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." And he goes on and on, and he's describing actually what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us because of what Christ has done on the cross, and the church is conceived with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit." Um, that's the last time so what do we see What, what is the feel that we get from this text what is the last hour what is the last times what is the last days well it has to and must refer to the entire church age while the church is here that is the last hour the moment Jesus went up into heaven until Jesus returns all of that space in between there that is the last hour. That is the final season. That is the latter days. Because when that ends and Christ returns, we enter into a millennial period. And soon there shall be a new heaven and a new earth after that. That is what that is referring to. That is what John is talking about when he writes them, because John, during this church season, he's wanting them to know that there's going to be some trouble and there's going to be some heartache that's going to happen within the church fellowship. They're experiencing this, the early churches. They have those that had been with them, that professed Christ, and now they're teaching strange things. Um, They're teaching things that are not in line with things that they had always heard. Some of them have outright turned away from the faith that had been there with them. And this is heartache. These people, they were family. They were brothers. It was like losing an actual family member to see these people go off into these strange things. Specifically, they were dealing with... Um, in john 's day what 's known as the Gnostic heresy and people that were coming in their ranks and beginning to teach that Jesus was not God incarnate in, in human flesh and so this was and this was causing some confusion amongst them so John writes the little children so that they would be informed they wouldn 't they wouldn't have to sit back and rely on mom pop theology they would be informed by the truth to help them through The heartaches and the trials and the hard times in this period known as the last hour. Now, John gives what I would say are four descriptors in this passage that we read. And I want to give these to you. And please understand, uh, there's much we're not mining out of this text I just want you to see these four main things and realities in this text. Because little children, it is the last hour. And one thing that we know is that the Antichrist is coming. No doubt about it. He's coming. He's coming. That's what he says in verse 18. He says, little children, um, you have heard well he says it is the last hour you and as you have heard the antichrist is coming the antichrist is coming there is a person a personality that is labeled the antichrist we know from old testament uh sayings and some of the things that are said in, in the New Testament as well that this will be a world ruler type of person. Um, and that phrase antichrist, anti-anti or anti in the Greek it can mean in, it, you sometimes can mean in place of or it can be mean opposed, to, and I would suggest to you that based on things that are written in 1 John, where he talks in other places about the Antichrist, it seems that John's intention is talking about one who is opposed to, ultimately who is opposed to and will come and try to assert himself in place of Christ, the Antichrist. Um, so there, there is a single and sinister personality that will enter the world scene, his coming will signify, I will tell you, the final ticks of the last hour, if you will. Um, he is described, uh, for example, in Second Thessalonians. it calls him the man of lawlessness um chapter number two of second thessalonians says now concerning the coming of our lord jesus christ and our being gathered to him we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed okay because see that's part of the problem these people were being shaken in mind they were alarmed not so much by the antichrist person but by, by the many antichrists that were among them. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But anyway, he goes on and says, uh, I don't want you to be quickly shaken or alarmed uh, by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us in the fact saying that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes, there's the word oppose, opposes, anti, opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. There's the in place of aspect of anti. And he says, do you remember that when I do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you about these things and, and and you know what is restraining him now that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way and the lawless one will be revealed whom G- the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and the bringing to nothing by his, the appearance of his coming. And we could go on and read about him and there are other places that you can read about this Antichrist figure. Um, he is described for us uh, in this idea of antichrist is described in first john he's he he writes about him in verse 22 Uh, doesn't confess the son as the christ he 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 writes about him in chapter 4 verses 1 2 and 3 Um, doesn't confess that he is he's come in the flesh that he's god in the flesh the incarnate god and so um, John mentions him at the beginning. Point number one would be Antichrist is coming, but the fact that Antichrist is coming, that's not the thrust of the text. That He's not so much concerned with that here in this particular passage. He's wanting them to know that even now Antichrist is coming. You've heard that, but he's wanting them to know even now many, many Antichrists. Have come. Many Antichrist have come, which is point number two. Many Antichrist have come, the rest of verse 18. Now, what is that? These are not the Antichrist, um, but they are a people, and they are many, not a few. They are many um, people who are of the same Christ opposing spirit. There is a spirit of antichrist, and guess what? They're here among us right now. They're here among us right now in the visible church. They're here. We we have antichrists plural on the church roll here at Valdosta Baptist Church. Right, Some of you go. Up can't believe he said that. I could say that in any church. There are antichrists plural on every church roll across this globe because they are now, right now, they are here in amongst us. They are here amongst us. How how did they get here? Well, Jude in 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 the book of Jude, he says it like this in verse 4. He says it's like they have crept in unawares, and now they're denying our only master and sovereign Lord Jesus, turning the grace of God into a license for immorality. You can go back and you can read that in Jude. Jude describes these antichrists in the book of Jude as, as uh, waterless. Uh, miss, they're like uh, they're twice dead they're, he, he gives all of these descriptions of them that they're here they're right here, he says they're here at our love feast with us, in other words they're partaking of the Lord's supper right here with us, they are among us when you come back to public worship and you're sitting on the pew, I'm not saying sit around and try and figure out who's, who's of the antichrist spirit, but they could be sitting next to you or at least six feet apart from you. Uh, They could be here among you when you come to church. This Antichrist spirit, Antichrist spirit, Christ opposing spirit inhabits these Antichrist plural. Um, And it doesn't mean these are people who are explicitly um, rejecting who... Do the reality of Jesus. Um, again, I, I told you earlier, John was dealing with what's known as the Gnostics and, and their heretical teachings about Christ uh, that were there among them. They weren't denying the historical reality of Christ. They would acknowledge the historical reality of Christ. They were redefining who He was. They were redefining who Jesus was. They were opposed to the orthodox Jesus. They didn't treasure Jesus as God come in human flesh. And so, in the church today, this same lie is embraced by people, this Antichrist spirit, many who will acknowledge the truth of Jesus, the historical reality of Jesus with their lips, but they deny Him by refusing to submit to His Lordship. Titus writes about them in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16, when he says they, they profess to know God, but by their actions, because they're not submitting to His Lordship, by their actions they deny that profession. So, um, who are these? Who are these antichrists? Who are these antichrists that are at work Among those of us who know Christ, who are they? It it, it describes, it's John's way of describing the lost church member. Someone who has come in our ranks, has been baptized in our waters, who has been brought into our fellowship, but they have never once been born of God. Oh my, what a tragedy. And it is prevalent. It is abundant. It is everywhere. And it has been since the beginning. This Antichrist spirit. They are the lost, unregenerate church members. And they can be found in the pews. They can be found in the pulpits. They can be found... Matter of fact, in the book of Jude, Jude is talking about... The shepherds who are lost amongst them. Shepherds, pastors, lost. They, 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 they can be found in, on deacon boards. They can be found in elder meetings. They are the spirit of those who Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, when He says, Many, many. Same word John uses when he says, There are many antichrists among you. The many who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do many works in your name? Did we not do this and that? Did we not drive out demons in your name? And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Not knew you one time. I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Terrifying words. So... Number three, we have, number one, the Antichrist is coming. Number two, we see many Antichrists are among us. Be aware of that. Don't be naive. Many Antichrists are among us. And point number three, Antichrists will apostatize. Antichrist. Will apostasize. Listen to verse 19. In verse 19, this is what John says, and this is what's caused a lot of heartache for them. He says, they who is they? They is referring back to the many Antichrists that have come. He's just made the statement. Many Antichrist have come, even now. And he goes on and he says, Therefore we know it's the last hour. And he says, They, referring back to the Antichrist, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain. All are not. Of us. Us who? Us children of God. Us true church. So, when you have in front of you what I call the visible church, you see the visible church, people that are professing to be a part of the church. Not all of the visible church is the true church. The true church is made up of the true children of God. But sprinkled amongst and many amongst the true church is the false followers who are not really born of God's Spirit. Now, you and I cannot sit back and decide who that is because we don't know until it is revealed Through their apostasy, who they are. But they are here and they're among us and they apostatize. They will apostatize. That word, they they will turn, they will fall away from the faith delivered once and for all. They will turn away from that faith. Um, I think of it like this the Antichrist's plural that are among the little children, the true church, they're, they're like sleeper cells of spiritual death. And they wake up. And when they wake up, and they realize who they are, they fall away. And the only hope is that they would be saved before they fall away. Hebrews chapter 6 describes this fate of those amongst the true church who fall away. It's a terrible place. Matter of fact, um, we may have to leave 1 John and go to Hebrews chapter 6 and deal with that issue maybe next week, Lord willing. We'll just have to see. But th- they will they will fall away. That's why it's Hebrews... In Hebrews 6, we're reminded of why it is so dangerous. Dangerous to be a part of a church, but not a part of the true church. Why it is so dangerous to serve in positions and do things in the church, never having been saved. Because one day, one day, unless grace rescues you before then, you will fall away to your own destruction. To your own destruction. And the implication is, once that occurs, there is no... Point of return, where apostasy truly takes place. That is what is implied as I look to the scriptures. But we'll think about that maybe next week. Um, it's so disturbing when this happens. It's so disturbing, you know. And, and a lot—that's the problem here in John. A lot of these little children were disturbed, people who they had been taught by were now departing and this bothered them. There have been men and, and, and multiple men, I, I'm not even going to begin to name names, uh, men whose Bible studies I, I have read, men whose uh, teaching I would listen to, who have now departed from the faith and they no longer teach cardinal doctrines of the faith. They have abandoned them. And they show no sign of returning. They have apostatized. And that is a scary thing. That's a scary thing. Guys, if today, after I have preached to you, and I fall away, And I renounce the Christ that I have so passionately preached. Don't let that disturb you. Certainly be broken for me. But that would only go to show. I was just a show. That would go to show that all these years as a pastor, I never knew God. Never. Now, I don't believe that's the case, and I don't believe I'm delusional, because I believe the Gospel, and I love my Jesus. I love my Christ. I cannot imagine or fathom leaving the Christ who has so loved me. I can't imagine that. But there are men who have been right there, passionate, but never were born again. I remember reading once about a 17-year-old young man who wrote so beautifully about the believer's union with Jesus Christ and it was based on things he had learned in the Gospel of John. John. Let me quote just an excerpt from what he wrote. He said, "Our heart, reason, history and the work of Christ convince us that without him, we are doomed by God, and only Christ can save us End quote." This young man was baptized in the Lutheran Church, confirmed in the Lutheran Church at the age of 16. This young man, several years down the road, renounced his faith and became to his death one of the fiercest fiercest upholders of atheism this world has ever known. This young man was Karl Marx. Those of you that know your history know that name. He is the, um, one of the main instigators in the early communist movement um, that led to the birth of the Soviet Union. But as a young teenager wrote so beautifully about Christ, a Christ he never knew. Wow. Wow. You can't ignore realities like this. Uh, Paul wrote young Timothy in in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils. That is Reality. That is reality. But little children, though the Antichrist is coming, though many Antichrists are here among us now, and though those Antichrists will apostatize, little children, the anti-apostates will never apostatize. You say, what? That's a funny way of saying something. And it is. It's it's a redundant way of saying something. And I don't know that I've ever heard the word anti-apostates. But it makes my point. They are opposed and against apostasy. And they never will apostatize. And who are they? Think about, little children, what the... John has just said. What does he say? In verse 19, he says, They, and who is the they? That's referring to the Antichrist that he referred to. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us, us who? Little children, whom he was writing to up at the beginning of that verse. That's who he's talking about. He says that they were not of us. They were not of us, for if they had been of us, of us little children, they would have continued. They would have continued. They would have persevered in the faith. We do that. We persevere. We who know Him, we will continue. We will persevere. And that is grace. That is grace that will. The implication is is clear. Those of us little children, we will continue. Grace saved you and brought you into the kingdom. Grace will keep you and sanctify you in the kingdom. And grace will finish what grace has begun. You can know that. Because if you're honest with yourself... When you see people departing the faith, it should disturb you a little bit. And it should, if, you're, if you are honest with yourself, you should think, what if I'm just deluding myself? It's being, it can sober your mind up. But you can't stay there in those kinds of thoughts. It ought to rush you into the arms of your Christ, who is mighty to save. Who is mighty to rescue. Who is mighty to keep. For you have been born again, Peter writes, into a living hope through the resurrection. Who is kept. You're kept by the power of God. Your inheritance is that will never perish spoil or fade. Wow. Wow. In our text, little children, John reminds us of some things that separate us from those that do not know him. Those who have not truly trusted Jesus. It boils down to have you really trusted Jesus or are you just using Jesus? Have you truly trusted Jesus? Or are you trusting in your work, in your ability, in your religious works, in the things you do, in your, Are you trusting in your work? What are you trusting in? Or is it His works? Um, those of us who have trusted him, he writes in verse 20, he says, "You have the Holy Spirit." <laughs> he says, in verse 20 he says, "You know the truth." He says, in verse 20: 20 21, "You confess the Son." And he says this about you. He says, "You are the recipients of eternal life." That's for you, that's you, that's we who trust, who treasure Jesus Christ. It is the last hour, and the last hour will come to an end. But little children, while you see people falling right and left, you keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus who has you, and you rejoice in Him. You rejoice in Him. I would close by saying a few things to us little children. Little children, it is the last hour. Treasure Christ. Treasure Him. Treasure Jesus. God come in human flesh. And watch your life and your doctrine closely. I would say, little children, it is the last hour, so preach the Gospel. Preach the Gospel. Preach it. Preach it always. Preach it in your going. Preach it in your coming. Preach the Gospel, because it is the Gospel who has the power of God to save those with the spirit of Antichrist. And only the Gospel can save them before they fall away, because they will. I would say, little children, don't be disturbed. When people you thought were right here with you all the way fall away, He says these things will happen. And little children, I would say to you, rejoice. It is the last hour. It is the last hour and you can rejoice because John tells us, you have the Holy Spirit. You have... The truth. You confess the Son. You have the promise of eternal life. So rejoice and be glad. Grace to you. May you be strengthened by the teaching of God's Word.